0: This is Ethan Brosh and you're listening to Iron City Rocks.
1: Hey, this is Neely Brosh and Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is
0: Steve Morse and you're listening to Iron City Rocks.
2: Welcome to episode 505 of the Iron City Rocks Podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 505, two amazing guitarists we welcome back to the program after well over a decade. Mr. Steve Morris joins us in just a moment to talk about uh, some live dates for the Steve Morris Band, and also we're going to be speaking to Nilly Brosh uh, an amazing guitarist, uh, solo instrumentalist, also a member of the Cirque du Soleil Michael Jackson show. So, we're going to talk to her about some new music she's got. But first, we're going to talk to Mr. Steve Morris. Steve, as many of you know, had left uh, Deep Purple in uh, 2022. Um, he, he decided to leave the band, step away because of his wife's cancer diagnosis. He wanted to be able to spend more time. Uh, and, and be there for her, which is, uh, commendable. Uh, and I think everyone out there can relate to knowing somebody with cancer and, and the amount of time and, and effort it takes for loved ones to help them. So it very admirable of Steve to step away. Uh, but as he says, his wife, I think got tired of him, uh, kind of lumbering around the house all the time. So Steve is, is able to do some, some weekend kind of, uh, Tour to force, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of live dates. So he's going to be doing some, including one here in our area of Oakmont, Pennsylvania. He'll be playing the Oaks Theater on Friday, May 26th. Uh, this is Steve Morris' band. As many of you know, have been around for a long time, much uh, before Deep Purple. Uh, Steve was a part of the Dixie Dregs, as was uh, bassist Dave LaRue, who is joining. Uh, Steve on this tour and then also Van Romaine on drums. so an amazing trio of musicians uh, doing mu- music uh, is really only Steve Morris can do I think if you know the more you read and talk to guitarists the admiration for Steve Morris is playing and his technique is just off the charts um, some of his work in deep purple Um, Just amazing. If you have a chance and have never listened to the Perpendicular album, I cannot recommend. Sometimes I feel like screaming enough. It just might be up there with uh, Jeff Beck's People Get Ready as one of my all-time favorite guitar performances. An amazing, amazing uh, song. So. Again, we're going to have Steve lucky enough to have him in our area. He's he's able to get out this way and do a live show. So, we're going to play you a little classic Steve Morris band going back a few decades on this one. We'll get into that interview with Mr. Steve Morris. gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Steve Morris. How you doing, Steve?
0: Uh, doing well, thanks.
2: It's a pleasure to speak to you. You're going to be coming in uh, with a kind of a, a reformed Steve Morris band on May 26th to do a show in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, beautiful Oaks Theater. I um, know obviously you stepped away from Deep Purple for, for pretty obvious reasons. I don't think anyone... Um, needed much explanation on on the reasoning and the rationale for that. But what kind of brought you back here in 2023, back to the stage?
0: Well, for one thing, being a musician for over half a decade makes music really a part of your life. And, you know, it's the cliché to say your career sort of defines you. Mm -hmm. But in a way it did for me at least partially and i i uh i I was just looking for some some kind of way that i could not be gone very much at all but still have you know things to um look forward to and and the guys dave larue and van romaine are just fantastic they they've been playing with other uh, groups and and are you know the they're as good as you can possibly get of musicians, so they're they're in demand, and, and they agreed to try to, you know, carve out a few days every month, and and for us to try to do some shows. And frankly, my wife was, you know, getting sick of seeing me around <laughs> all the time. <laughs> no, she she thought that she knew that it was a big deal. You know, to to quit the band, to Deep De- De- Purple, which was sure. 28 years. But um, I, I've been able to 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 help a lot, you know, w- with her medical stuff and and make a big difference. And now that we're sort of, you know, seeing the way things are laying out and are dealing with them mm-hmm. in not quite as frantic of a fashion, she said, "Well, why don't you try and do some shows?" And it was really her suggestion that spurred me on so i'm i'm glad to be here
2: yeah i mean it's wonderful as a fan you know and sort of a, a greedy fan it's wonderful to have you back i mean your music has been a, a large part of many of my you know my life much of my life and many of our listeners um through different forms you know with the dixie drags and, and the steve Morse band and obviously deep purple um but you know i think when the situation arose you know when the announcement was made i think everyone could look at that and say you know that makes total sense you know you, you your head was in the right place You 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 needed to be where you were um but it's funny when you say about your wife because I, I can't tell you how many musicians during the pandemic echoed almost the same thing where it was like they're road warriors by nature of your your job and when you're home you're kind of in the way sometimes you know it's it's you're fumbling around in the kitchen you're bored you know you can only you know go noodle around in pro tools so much before you you start to kind of gum up the chemistry of of the home life so it's it's an interesting <laughs> in that scenario um with yeah. with dave i know you've played with on and off with dave many many times and, and dave a masterful musician and obviously a van but um did that kind of help having these guys where you have such a history and a chemistry with and in such a high degree of musicianship, you don't need a lot of time for rehearsals and things like that, or did that make this more attractive? Yo, oh, yeah.
0: Dave is the most meticulous, most responsible, prepared musician I've ever worked with. I mean, you, you just, it's like the more I, I heap on him in the, in the form of, you know, difficult parts, the harder he works and he's always been that way mm-hmm. and when he said yeah i'm up for it, it it just took a weight off my shoulders suddenly it's like everything's going to be okay because you know as long as i have dave there to you know to basically fill out all these incredibly difficult parts that i mm-hmm. really need in a trio that i need to be covered for the compositions to come alive right. then so, yeah, I felt like we well, we're we're going to be okay. I mean we could do the duets on, on classical guitar, we could do all the the the, the drag stuff that we uh, have arranged for the trio and we could do all our Steve Morse you know, history stuff. So, yeah, it 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 fell together very quickly and Dave lives in town, where, you know, the same same city I live in in, in Florida and it's 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 just too easy you know yeah.
2: now yeah it's a, it's amazing how many times when you look out you know you go to see you know somebody you know you think you're going to see a, you know masterful guitar player and then you look over and there's Dave you know with John Petrucci and uh, Joe Satriani, and you know the, the list goes on and on of of the demand uh and and he always nails it and and it's it's, it's gotta be very comforting and you've had such a long history with him um you, your own guitar playing, was it something that you had to kind of... I mean, obviously, with the situation you were dealing with, um, that was miles away from the most important thing going on in your life, but were you able to kind of still take time for the instrument, or is it was it something maybe a break, may have even in, increased your desire to want to go back and play?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, even when I was living in the hospital with Janine,
2: um,
0: they... You know, they let me keep my a guitar there, just I didn't plug it into an amp or anything. But I you know, I play it every day, every, every, normally at night. And the night shift people were, were also just real friendly about it mm-hmm. and Sure. And and no, no problem at all from them. So uh I have, I've always stayed practicing, even you know. When, whenever I've had you know arthritis or wrist issues or or anything, I I find a way to keep on blame. So that 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 has really helped because you know there's there's not as much of a you know of a of a training regimen mm-hmm. needed because I you know I've been doing it every day.
2: Were some of the the songs that you guys are doing as a trio? Did you have to go back and kind of revisit those or are some of these you know? more muscle memory hit this point for you?
0: Well, it's both, it's both. And and I always like to learn a piece by musical memory where I could play it, the recording of all the notes in my mind, and then visual memory where I could see the how the notes lay out on the figureboard, and muscle memory, of course. Hmm. So when I find the right fingerings, when I'm revisiting something I haven't played in 20 years when I find the right fingering suddenly everything snaps into place all three of those things align and uh, that makes it much easier to remember because some, sometimes when I, I transcribe something off a of record and said wow that's weird I didn't think that was an A flat there and it's because I'm playing it in a, in a different fingering th- than I recorded it and once I find the the uh, original fingering that I used I said oh of course yeah that's just a passing note and then that that's to ease the transition from fifth position to the second position or, or whatever
2: when you do these these songs live I mean is are you allowing parts for improvisation or are you, you do you more of a player who likes to kind of reproduce note for note I mean that you know you certainly see certain players that you know will use it as a framework to kind of play off of and some that I want to give the fans down to the you know the the B flat that they heard on the record or you know where would you say you fall in that spectrum well
0: i think i enjoy the improv part of soloing to the extent that i do that as much as possible in a song like the introduction where the solo that i recorded actually turns out to be melodic and mm-hmm. seems to be a melody in, in and of itself. In that case, I pretty much have to play that part. But but when it comes to, you know, here we are rocking out for 16 bars, I'm, I'm going to just improvise and, and uh, do my best with it. And as such, you, you, you pay a little bit of a performance penalty because with me, for instance, I might get it an 85 out of 100 for for an improvised solo and if i was to copy a a really good take that i put on the record maybe i'd I'd get a 95. however it's you know in the process of of doing it on the spot in front of people and with your heart poured into it Mm -hmm. you get a certain something that that you can't reproduce from from playing from memory just the same way you know when you see a speaker uh, at the lectern and they're looking at the notes that's that's one level of involvement but when they're looking at you and are passionate about what they're saying that's a different level yeah. of of uh, communication and that's what I'm reaching for is just you know I'm giving my heart and soul to you guys out there you've given me everything I, I just want to show you how much i enjoy this music
2: yeah i'm I'm thinking as you're saying you're playing in an 85 what number in the teens maybe i might be able to play i might be able to play a 12 or a 13 to your 85 so you
0: No, i think i think it would would apply across the board to most people hmm. is that in improvisation you get you know you get some some really lucky amazing stuff you would never do and then sometimes you get stuff that know could have been done better but you did it on the fly and you took the chance and you you get what you get but you you did it with your heart on the sleeve and your your uh your energy level
2: Uh when you're doing something to to recording and and you 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 know you're talking in terms of that and sometimes i know you know as a you know a guitar player, you sometimes you just have that energy when you're playing and, and it just feels good and, and your ears right and the tone is good and, and you get something and you go back and listen to it and it may not be perfect. Do, do you have to kind of fight that urge to fix it or do, how do you approach kind of the the notes that maybe stick out to you that may you know may not necessarily be the wrong key or the wrong scale, but just not exactly what you intended, but the energy is there.
0: Well, this for some reason this reminds me of a, a remark that Eddie offered. made. Uh, we produced the industry standard Dixie Dregs uh, album together, mm-hmm. and he was saying that, you know, I erased a bunch of great takes and everything. But for me, it's simply, does anything give me an uneasy feeling when I listen to it? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the only rule I have. If it gets, makes me feel uneasy, it's, well back in the old days, you would erase it and you had, you know, no place to put it to set right. it aside. Right. With digital, with digital stuff, you can set it aside, but you still have to do your housekeeping. You know, if you end up with, you know, 10 different kind of okay, uh, takes, that's, that's just making more work in the future. You have to make decisions. And so my decision is simple. If it, if it doesn't feel really one hundred percent right, I'm I'm not a perfectionist, but if if I, I just don't want to record anything that makes me feel uneasy, yeah. So it's it's that simple.
2: How often would you say when you, when you're cutting a, like a solo, it ends up being the first take that you end up with?
0: Um, often the first take is inspired and and a good take, mm-hmm. but. There's things in it that I want to fix. Yeah. So, I either keep like a, a section of it, or maybe just you know put it aside. And and when I put it aside, I I put it like uh, you know at the bottom of a file. Yeah. And something else that that I think is better, I put it on top of that and then erase that. Keep keep trying to up the ante. Yeah. And I I don't. Think having a first take is a, any big deal because I, I think it's cool to play along and kind of get warmed up with it. Mm. And if you happen to be pressing record at the same time you do that, then, well, that's fine. Just in case you come across something, but it's with this with the modern equipment we got, where you can you can do you know lots of versions. Yeah, then. There, there's no penalty at all for for doing a number of takes. However, I'd say about ten is the max, then you start getting the diminishing returns. And yeah. I'm not saying I couldn't. I could play uh, do solos for six six hours if I need to, but I'd prefer not to. Just you know if I get to ten takes, I'll just go do something else and keep keep recording and keep working on parts. But then, you know, come back later when I, I feel a little bit more uh, fresh and haven't thought about it. Because yeah. it's easy to get a little bit into a rut and you're beating yourself up and saying, you know, wow, I'm really rushing that part or, or that, that part there. I, I'm defining the changes and it sounds like a like, like a cliche or something. Right. So whatever the criticism is, I, tr- I try to get away from it. And that's always a good idea for a writer a performer or anybody who's find themselves doing repetitive tries and not getting improvement to you know either analyze the problem in great detail and then do a you know a full retake or get away from it and and you know get some perspective
2: yeah yeah it's, it's funny how in life that that getting away from something and getting that perspective can apply to a lot of things um, you know, sometimes you just you know, kind of clear your head, get a different perspective, different energy as you approach it. Um, Steve, just with the time you've had, you know, off the road um, and kind of you know your relationship with these guys, do you see yourself maybe doing some recording going forward? Something that wouldn't necessarily keep you on the road months at a time?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're already um, putting together building blocks, and I'm I'm already know earmarking ideas and there, you know there's no there's no real rush because the recording industry isn't really an industry anymore yeah. for the kind of music we're interested in it's it's more of a you know i like to, i like to paint when i go to the seashore kind of a thing you
2: know? yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that that's that's well said you know it's 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 something you do but if you're looking to supplement you know a, a vacation home or, or kids college funds with with recording industry it's it's a that's a losing effort but you know thankfully the technology has made it such that you know you don't need to go to vancouver for three months to make a record at this point or you know toronto or you know wherever you could you could hold up in a basement and make fantastic music which is you know the upside of it but um but if you're trying to sell a million copies that's
0: well yeah we're we're just not aiming at that that type of material mm-hmm. and that that particular um, target, but it's also very productive for me again, like I said, you know leave it and come back is to have lots of irons in the fire mm-hmm. and you know slowly heating up and and just go and check on them from time to time so uh, a project like this could span over. In many months, uh, maybe even years, with you know, steadily looking at it and and putting in time here and there. Like I said, there's no there's no penalty for doing that because you're not you know blocking out a studio where other people can't use it. Yeah. And the clock is ticking and the rates are high and you know the it's going to be the end of the world if this doesn't get fixed by tomorrow.
2: Yeah, exactly. You don't have a, a a tour to kick off and, you know in three weeks that you need to get this done and get it to you know vinyl pressers and cassette plants and all that stuff so it gives you uh, a lot more control well steve i, w- I want to thank you again you'll be here on may 26th to do a show at the oaks theater in oakmont um for those of you in the northeast and kind of midwest uh, lots of shows sprinkled around um weekends so we look very much forward to seeing you back on stage uh, you know, for fans of uh, you know the Dregs and the Steve Morris Band and that part of your career, this would be a fantastic opportunity to get to see you do that work again.
0: It's a very special time, I and mean, there there is it, it's it's a generation of musicians that you know you you can't re- reproduce that type of you know uh, life experience because you know times have changed. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a unique sort of uh, of a concert to to check out, and just, it, even for younger people that that may you know only follow uh, musicians musicians close to their age. Sure, it it could be very very instructive and and fun. I think to just to see the you know the old school approach to this this is how we did it. You know.
2: Amen. Well, Steve, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll have a link for tickets, and we can't wait to see you in just about two weeks, man.
0: Awesome. And that, that, thank you. I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who has supported live music and uh, is, has been willing to to, to make that effort, to sacrifice, and and pull money out of their pocket to support the cause. It, we, we really appreciate it, and we hope to see. you.
2: All right, again, Friday, May 26th, the Oaks Theater in Oakmont, Pennsylvania. Easy to get to from the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Uh, if you haven't been up there for a show, fabulous place. An amazing night of musicianship in store for you on that night. So uh, so thankful to have Steve Morris back. Um, I know he's got a lot more important things to do than worry about coming and entertaining us in his life right now, but it's great that he's able to kind of scratch that musical itch, and we are blessed enough to be the recipient of a live date for him so don't waste the opportunity if you're into the steve morris band and we're going to turn our attention now to another guitarist i had a chance to speak to nilly brosch Nilly, the sister of ethan brosch who has been a guest on the show but a very different player um, i really enjoyed listening to the two new singles that she released she had an album in 2019 um a little bit quiet during the pandemic, was very busy doing the Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas. The Michael Jackson 1 Cirque du Soleil, Soleil show um, has worked with the likes of Jennifer Batten, who was a longtime Michael Jackson guitarist. Uh, these, these two songs, Song of Hope and Lavender Mountain, just amazing tracks. And she was just announced to be the opening band for the September 8th show at UPMC Event Center. Death Clock and Baby Metal, which uh just an amazing bill that night. Uh, she has played with Death Clock, so she's got a little bit of history uh, with them. And also joining them is Jason Richardson on that bill. So those tickets are available now. Uh Nilly, as she talks about in the interview, is still working on the album, but you can enjoy the singles. We're gonna play a little bit of Lavender Mountains now to get you in the mood and we'll talk to Lily Rock. Pleasure. You are um, one day removed from dropping back to back singles uh, earlier in the week Song of Hope and Lavender Mountains, um, two masterful pieces of music. Um, and then your weekend has you performing with the Cirque de Soleil uh, Michael Jackson show. So you've got a, a ton going on, and, and as, as I mentioned off air, uh, you're coming into the UPMC of Ben Center in moon township just outside of Pittsburgh in September with death clock baby metal um, tons of stuff going on so um, we've, we've had your brother on obviously we know a lot about his you know style but when I listen to you I, I hear something different which is is interesting to me um, mm-hmm. you know two people be you the know, same DNA almost but but different musically <laughs> um, can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about you know growing up, how you, you approach the instrument maybe differently than Ethan did?
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, growing up, I don't know if I approach the instrument in, in any way. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 obviously I can't speak for Ethan, but to me, you know, apart from so many of the wonderful things about the electric guitar that, that we all love, um, the love of melodies and, and pop hooks and things like that, uh, and just all kinds of different styles of music um, always felt like it would be my approach, you know that that always mm. felt to be in the forefront for me and regardless of what I felt like I could play at any point, that was kind of always in the in in the front of my mind as the goal
2: was was the guitar I mean, when you were growing up, were there particular? musicians that you gravitated towards, you know, and I think about, you know, you didn't necessarily grow up in the golden age of shred guitar, but I don't hear necessarily, (laughs) and and I don't think of you necessarily as a shredder. I mean, when I listened to to the singles this week, I I was actually thinking of something, it sounds like almost like Jeff Beck would have come up with. Oh, Um, wow. So, Damn, thank you. so you know, it, it's interesting to me to know kind of what what was in your ear when you were twelve and you decided I'm going to pick up this guitar. What kind of things kind mm. of gravitated you to the instrument itself?
1: Well, the biggest thing, you know, other than wanting to be like my brother and thinking mm-hmm. the guitar is cool, since to him, you know, that my my earliest love and very well ingrained by the time I was twelve was. Uh, with Nuno and extreme and especially Porn and Graffiti mm-hmm. and even though I came to that through More Than Words much like a lot of people did sure. even though it's a lot later than, sure. than people did given my age but um, as much as I love More Than Words the more I found out about the record the more I, I liked uh, what was really going on in there you know and so the, the whole idea of the, the funky metal the way that Nuno was doing it was just It just drew me in in so many ways, and there's so many layers about it that spoke to me, whether, again, whether it was the funky rhythms or the edgy playing or the hooks or the riffs. I mean, there's just so much brilliance in there, and I think that threw me into a world that I didn't really know where it it came from until later on. You know, that Mm -hmm. was my introduction to it.
2: Was it something, when when you started out, were you one of those people, like, uh, you know, that, that okay, I'm going to take this instrument, I'll get home from school, you're not going to see me until dinner time, and then I'm going right back to my room to play, or was this, you know, were you a kind of a normal teenager who just dabbled in the guitar, or, or you know, how, how serious did you take it right out of the gate?
1: Uh, Well, right out of the gate, I was definitely, I feel like I was too young to have taken it seriously, but mm-hmm. by the time I was in pretty early high school, I was what you were talking about with closing the door and not coming out of the woodshed type of thing. So I, I certainly still had many years of that, but I think it was probably around the time I was 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'd been playing my whole life, you know, I was taking lessons since I was a little kid, but again, like the, the seven year old is probably not going to practice and the 14 year old did. So.
2: Right. Was was the guitar the first instrument, or was this? Were there other instruments that kind of led you down that path?
1: Um, I think I might have taken a few rogue piano lessons as a very very little child, so I, I don't really consider that having started with anything else. So no, I mean I really feel like my my life has been pretty dedicated to the guitar.
2: Right, you weren't a converted clarinet player or something. That,
1: no 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 you see that a lot of definitely you, nothing like that
2: no no yeah a lot of people yeah. kind of go from like the the uh the woodwind instruments to the guitar somewhere in, in about middle school and it, the, the timing was interesting so That's um
1: interesting i mean you'd hope it would help everybody's phrasing yeah
2: so. <laughs> yeah it would um working with tony mccalpine i mean, when i think of him I, I remember so clearly getting one of his I assume was a, a Mike Varney shrapnel album mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and really like okay this guy is an amazing guitarist, he's an amazing guitarist and then the piano he would do some mm-hmm. piano pieces and I was like oh my god this is otherworldly that one man could do mm-hmm. both of these things was that, I mean obviously you you had some very intense Berkeley College of Music education but was, was working with Tony almost kind of like part two of that equation?
1: <laughs> kind of. It was it was like the uh uh the real life equivalent of okay this is not music school and it's real work but it's still really intimidating and uh, and
2: feels like big shoes of film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that I mean was that was that am I correct that was kind of your first touring experience was with Tony or did you tour much Prior to that, I know you played with Stu. Hamm. I mean,
1: kind of. I, I, uh, I did some stuff with the Iron Maidens, and that was really my first gig, and that was before Tony. But those things were so close together, and I mm-hmm. feel like I was so newly out of college and green at that point that to me, they all seemed like my first gig. Yeah. Um, but you know, Tony really. I mean, I still feel like in a way he really took a chance on me, and he trusted me before anybody else did and before I trusted myself and you will always be that that person that thought I could do something that I didn't think I I could do and I I owe I owe a lot for that you know
2: yeah what was was working with someone like that or or even you, you know in the, maybe more so than the Iron Maidens helpful to learn how to do what you've become as a musician professionally and not so much mm-hmm. musically mm-hmm. but the business end of it and and how to make a living doing this?
1: I think I took a little bit of that from everyone that I've worked with, you know, because mm-hmm. it's such a big picture and it's something that's so open-ended and there's so many different ways to do it that I think seeing all the different ways that people do it over the years and with the different artists mm-hmm. that I've met has kind of put together a bigger picture.
2: The The work you've done, with Cirque du Soleil with the, the Michael Jackson show can you talk a little bit about how you, you came to that role I know you've played with Jennifer Batten over the years obviously uh, mm-hmm. well known for her work with Michael but uh, how did you land that spot and, and can you talk a little bit about how that challenges you as a musician and, and also as a visual sure. performer really
1: yeah absolutely um, so the the, <laughs> the relationship I have with that show I mean it actually took a long time I had three auditions over the span of five years. So I felt like I, I was kind of building the relationship with that company for a long time until it was the the right time. But the way that I'd heard about it was um, over a decade ago now, when they were creating the show, they kind of basically put out this uh, public announcement of, Hey, we're looking for a female guitar player. And there might've even been a picture of either Jennifer or somebody that's dressed like Jennifer. It was like mm-hmm. very clear what that casting call was for, you know? Sure. So they, throughout this public thing and every person and their mother sent it to me because they are like, hey, they're looking for a female guitarist, yeah. you know. Uh, so I started the audition process, I, I got very close and uh, Gina Gleason ended up being the pioneer of that character and she made it to, to what it is and she did millions of, well, thousands of shows with them. It sounds like, feels like millions. Um, and I always say, you know, she was really like I, I respect no one more than her because she really had to to build that character and go mm-hmm. through stuff that the muse is it's called the muse the character uh, following her never had to never had to deal with you know so um, by the time I got there that role was very well implemented into the show and it was very clear about what needs to be done and and you're right it was a challenge for the showmanship for me especially in the beginning I kind of had to grow into okay how do I play this without just always looking at my guitar and standing in one spot how do I make how do I sell this how do I interact with the audience how do I interact with the other characters while playing this difficult music I mean it's it was a big learning curve but the beauty of doing that gig full-time when you do is that you have so much repetition that hmm. when you're used to that ten show a week grind, eventually that becomes autopilot like the other stuff. So it's uh, it's definitely a lesson in live playing that you're not gonna be able to get in a lot of, of other situations. I guess
2: does that help? I mean, I think of you know some other guitarists who are kind of in these roles where they're they're a known commodity, but in a show like um, almost like i think of Joel Holkstra um, in several mm-hmm. scenarios in his right. career where you know guitarists know who Joel is but to the larger right. audience they may not know who he is but he still is is a bit of a character in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra's work with Cher. right um right. you know does that transcend and and make do you feel you a better visual and live performer outside of, of that world you know when you go out on your own And do your stuff to help you kind of learn those tricks of of showmanship, you know, for lack of a better word.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's again, there's no better practice for it. It really makes you desensitized to that stuff. And, you know, even from a practical sense of the fact that the costume in that show is so, like, over the top, you know, and you Mm -hmm. basically feel like you're moving around and playing with armor on you, Mm -hmm. then you go and you do any other gig and you're like, oh, my instrument is so light, I'm, just, I'm yeah. just wearing a tank top, this is so, you know, and so like all of a sudden you literally just feel like you can move better, and you literally feel like, okay, this is like not that hard after I do it with all this stuff on me and still have to deliver, so yeah, it really changes the way you, your confidence about it, and just your overall feeling like the ability, is just, it's just like a physical ability now.
2: Sure. Yeah, I I always wondered that, Hugo, because, you know, there's such a, a, obviously you need the musical chops to do what you need to do, but you can't be, you know, I think of, you know, when Bruce Kulick joined Kiss, they used to call him Spruce because he would stand and play, you know, they kind of (laughs) razzed on him about that, but you can't be that in, you know, the Cirque show, you know, nobody does that, and then, you know yeah. when you're the you know you're the name on the marquee at, you know in, a, in a, right. a, a concert you know all eyes on you so it's a probably right. a master class in in showmanship i would assume um can you talk, a, talk a little bit about the, the two new songs as i mentioned i you know i i wasn't sure what to expect it's been a little while since i've heard some new music and um you know when you put those songs together were those songs you know you worked on during the pandemic or just things you you've done since the pandemic or where did the songs kind of originate?
0: So
1: they actually are pandemic songs, um, despite their uh, uplifting uh, Mm -hmm. kind of sound, right? Um, I think that's that's where the the need for hope came from and and the the hope that it was going to come through the music, even though it was written at a time where it really didn't feel like that. Um, So I think leaning into that, while I could uh, was something that helped me get through, even though I was not expecting to bring out something so positive sounding. Right. So right. Um, looking back, that's, that's the full circle.
2: Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting how much, and you're not alone in that, that if kind of mentioned that, that it was like, you know, this album, you know, this single, and I've heard this from countless artists that'll say, you know, this doesn't sound like it was born in you know that kind of low point you know of, of right. the curve of life but it's exactly what i needed to get out of it as you know as an artist you know to, you know because at the end of the day you need to write something you like that moves you before it's going to move mm-hmm. anybody and uh exactly you know and i think when it speaks to you there's Millions of people going through the same experience you were, and this might be that right. one—the one time you know—you you, you think of a songwriter writing about a breakup, heartache, whatever, uh, you know, whoever Taylor Swift broke up with this year. Um, that spawns <laughs> an album, you know, those kind of experiences. But this is one set of experiences that everyone experienced at the same time. So, right, you know, I, I certainly understand. Yeah,
1: that's well put.
2: Yeah, and and, and the music this Beautiful, and the video with, you know, in the desert there—that was really, really cool. Do you you. are you writing for an album, or you kind of gone the twenty twenty three route of singles make more sense in this (laughs) music industry?
1: No, it. it, I am still. It is still part of a a record that's been in the works, and uh, you're right that I have a lot going on, and it feels like of writing sometimes has to take a back seat which I really mm. don't like how sporadic it ends up becoming but I'm definitely committed to going back and working on that whenever I can and that's that's me saying this to myself for the next few months that I'm here I'm like, just it, just do, just write <laughs> but no, I mean it, it's uh, it's definitely been in the process for a long time and I, I the, the um, logic behind releasing the singles is not so that they're singles but more because I want the music to be out there before the, the whole record is done. I don't want people to have to wait that long because I have to wait that long. Sure. So I just want to get the music out there as soon as I can. And if the form of singles allows me to do that a little bit quicker, then I'm, I'm all for it. But it's definitely part of the bigger picture to me.
2: When you write, uh, you I'm always curious and fascinated by people who can kind of... Schedule time to write. Um, being, mm. you know, in, you know, I, I've carved out two months between tours to do an album, and we're going to write the first three weeks and record. You know, I, am not a person who can schedule creativity. Um, mm. Is is that something that you thrive under, or is that, or do these songs kind of come, you know, a melody just sort of hit you like a lightning bolt, and you go from there?
1: So it's. It's more the latter, but you know, when you talk about scheduling time to write, in my case, I guess when I'm referring to that, it's really more time to demo and flesh out what I'd already taken notes on. Oh, okay. So, I I do kind of, ideally, most of the time, hear stuff in my head and jot it down as it comes to me, and so, hopefully, most of the time, I'm, I guess open to trying to be open to receiving things, you know, and As I hear something, I'll sing it into my voice memos Mm -hmm. and take whatever arrangement notes on it I hear in my head, and then I basically set it aside until I have the time to sit down and flesh out a demo. So when I say that I need to commit the time, it's really more like, okay, now I have to go through this, and I've luckily been able to start doing this now, but go through this old list of voice memos that I had asterisks because... I knew there was some good stuff in there, and I had thoughts about where it needs to go and how it's going to be completed. But it's just about the time of like, okay, I really need to sit sit down and blueprint this, or it's just always going to be in, in the ether.
2: So it's to clean out the phone, organize the ideas, and, and finish the song. Um, yeah, you, yeah, the uh, maybe too young to remember the you know the Fostech four-track days where, you know, you had to do that with cassettes in the back of the tour bus, and, and you guys would talk about the the hell of going back and listening to these tips. Yeah, now it's just, okay, I just scroll down through a list of of riffs you sung into the phone at odd times.
1: I mean, I will concede that even though I, I don't date back to have remembered those ways of recording, I did live in this kind of in-between phase where there wasn't a really quick go way to do that and I still had to test my dictation skills mm-hmm. of writing it from my head into uh, music notation, standard notation and just hope that my skills are good enough to A, remember what I did, <laughs> write it down correctly and still like it in the morning. You
2: know? Yeah.
1: So, when the voice memo started saving me, life became a whole lot better and so did sleep.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Neely, I want to thank you so much for the time. The two videos are available thank now. We'll, we'll share the links to both of those fantastic tracks. Thank and then you. we'll see you in a little over four months with Death Clock at the UPMC yes! Event Center. That's going to be great to, to so get, get on the road. It's it's I, I like the fact th- the show like that where it's, it's kind of an eclectic mix of stuff. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, so many times you get tours where it's kind of like... From opener to closer, it's all very, very similar, mm. but this has got some nice ebb and flow right. and, and different flavors to it that ought to make for a really fascinating uh, show. Yes. So.
1: I Just, agree. I think that's such a such a good bill.
2: Yeah, it, it should be. And, and the beautiful venue I was there last week. It should be packed for you guys. I think people are really excited to see that package. So uh kudos to whoever put it all together and and we will see I know, right? (laughs)
1: It's thanks to them that I get to do this. I really appreciate them.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Uh, Nilly. I want to thank thank you for the time. All right, again, Nilly Brosh, he will be here on September 8th at the UPMC Events Center and Robert Morris University. had a chance to check out Billy Idol there a couple weeks ago. A fabulous, about a 4,000 seat venue. Um, All seats. uh, Great Great acoustics in the place. Easy to get in and out of. Um, A lot of people I've seen online kind of bemoaning parking there has been absolutely no problem. I've had parking. I've parked there now for two sold-out shows without any issue whatsoever. So don't let that keep you away from an amazing night of metal uh, with baby baby metal and and death clock. So it ought to be a, a killer, killer show. And also, again, Steve Morris coming into Oakmont oaks theater catch him on the 26th of may um two exceptional guitars so if you're you're a fan of that kind of uh guitar wizardry these are two can't miss acts so we want to thank you for listening to that you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com for details on both shows you can reach out at ironcityrocks at gmail.com let us know what you thought artists you might be interested in hearing in in the future or things you're tired of hearing about we don't care Uh, We have thick skin, so let us know what you think. Uh, You can hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. We are Iron City Rocks. No spaces, no dots, no dashes, no official. Just Iron City Rocks. So we invite you to check that out. We want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen.